1: You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner. And head of empirical wealth management, I'm sitting with our, my business partner and co host, Ethan Broga, this afternoon. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. I'm Baroga. I can't hear anything in my headphones, so it's a little strange today. Um, oh, I heard that. But uh, yeah, let us Simon mean, get his computer dialed in. Um, this show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make smarter financial decisions, Ethan. All right, and it did say, "Fasten your seatbelt." Are you fastened? You
3: know, are
2: we need you to braced? Get some of those on the on the seat here. Okay, that would be nice. I'm hanging on. Though. I hit the eject button. I'm hanging here. on. Today we are uh, broadcasting live from the uh, cell location, and if you want to chime in during the show, give us a call 866-472-5790, and I think they'll pipe you in. You can also shoot an email through to us at uh, the following address, contact at EMPIRadio.com. Contact at E-M-P-I radiocom And Ethan, before we get into today's, the uh, the heart of the matter, the, the the meat, as it were, of the show, mm-hmm. would you mind giving out our contact information here at Empirical and uh, sharing a little bit about how we would love to help our listeners Sure, I'd be happy to. Off the air. Off the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're, maybe you're
3: listening out there, mm-hmm. maybe for the first time, or maybe you're a regular listener, I don't, I don't know, but if you're interested in having somebody um, maybe provide a second look into your, let's say, retirement or financial plan, uh, we would love the opportunity to do that. Uh, we would well, love to. You, we can be reached here at the beautiful Empirical Towers in downtown Seattle. The Sago lovely Empirical at, Towers. 206 923 3474 and we'd happy to just get together, have a conversation. We'd ask you to bring a few Co- things to couple our of guys, having a coffee. Coffee could be included, no problem at all. Maybe some caramels. Exactly. And uh, just walk through what your plans are, what exactly the situation is that you're in and uh, likely you to walk away with some good ideas on how to maximize what you have, saving money on taxes, increase investment performance, uh, those sorts of things. So we'd be happy to discuss that with you. Give us a call at 206-923-3474. Um, or if you're just looking for something as simple as a second opinion on in your investment portfolio, we'd happily run that diagnostic for you and give you our two cents on how things are set up for you. Again, we can reach reached at 206-923-3474. And if you'd like to join the program today, maybe you have a question or something that's on your mind, we can be reached live here We're on the air at 866-472-5790. That
2: sounds good, Ethan. All right. Thanks for giving that out. Anytime. And uh, if you want to shoot myself or Ethan an email throughout the week, my email is ksmith at empirical.net, ksmith at empirical.net. So I'd love to uh, try to answer any questions you have throughout the week. Uh, I spend a pretty good amount of my time working with our research group on the investment strategies. And Ethan heads up our financial planning group and does a lot of the the research behind what we do in, in the financial planning recommendations. So your email th- is ebroga. Yep. At Empirical. B-R-O-G-A. Uh, Broga. It's not Brogan or? Nope. B-R-O-G-A. Okay. Broga. Broga. ebroga at empirical.net. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, real quick, Ethan, why don't we click through the market update here. All right. And then uh, I've got a few articles just that were in the press recently I thought we could Breeze through, sounds good, and then maybe uh, talk a little bit more about investing ideas. We were going through a presentation last week, and I thought we could pick up on where we left off there, finish that up. Sure, um, some some thoughts, food for thought, as it were. All right, good. It looks like the Dow was flat today, Ethan. Zero change for the day. Sixteen thousand five hundred one. I can't. I can't believe that. Exactly. That is pretty strange. It's an accident. Um, no change. How those numbers would would work out that way, but that is what it is. Yeah, I guess so. That puts us year to date on the Dow slightly negative, down point four five percent for the year. Year to date <laughs> number the last rolling twelve months. We are now positive. 12.44% on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. The S&P 500 today was positive, slightly 0.17 up for the day. That puts us positive 1.64 for the year, we're back into the positive zone there and for the last 12 months about 19% hmm. uh, above where we were last April this time. You've got large cap growth and value Uh, Today, large cap growth was up 0.24%, large value up 0.13. And if we look year-to-date, large growth is up about 1.14, where value is outperforming a little bit for the year-to-date number, 2.45% year-to-date. Small cap growth, uh, small value, and micro cap all being down slightly today, between three-tenths and half a percent. For the year to date, though, small growth is down 3.1, small value, positive 0.02, and micro cap stocks, those teeny tiny little companies, <laughs> <laughs> down 1.28%. Am I here to amuse you? you know? I guess
3: so. <laughs> I'm amused.
2: <laughs> international, This is how they should do it on CNBC. Don't you think, you know, <laughs> a little more interesting. Teeny tiny cap companies. Yeah, you got, oh, you go got your international large blend stocks down. for the day, that's negative .19 year-to-date, up 14.76 for the year. International value stocks, up positive .02, up 1.85 year-to-date, and uh, a little better than the blend or growth over the last year and year-to-date. International large growth, um, down about a half a percent for the year-to-date number, up 12.3 uh, for the year, for the last 12 months, where your value is up 17.01. Emerging markets uh, up slightly, a tenth of a percent for the day. That puts us at down 0.22, so about flat for the year to date number. And now, Ethan, for the last 12 months, emerging markets are up slightly, 0.59 percent in the rolling 12-month period. Those frontier markets, those are those uh, teenier, tinier emerging markets that are a little less liquid and uh, desirable from a trading perspective, but they're out there and we're tracking them. They're not going to get away from you, Ethan. That's right. Uh, Today they were down a little bit, but uh, if we look for the year to date, this is pretty interesting. They're up 13.84%. That's one of the highest equity returns of the broad asset classes we're tracking in our market update.
3: Hmm.
2: And um, I don't know if cash register or something we could get um, Reits are up eight point one one percent for the year to date number, um, about flat for the last twelve months. And I don't know if I mentioned it though, Ethan. Those frontier markets are up thirty percent for the last twelve month period. You know, I, that's I, explosive growth. It obviously is.
3: I was thinking about that. I, I, I happen to have the list of uh, well, that, that's fine. I bet you do. The FM is an iShares uh, Frontier Markets mm-hmm. uh, ETF. And I was just curious because uh, uh, you know, you, it's easier to think of emerging market countries, right? You, you have big ones like China and, and India and Brazil and that sort of thing. Uh, but what is frontier markets? And it's, I have the list here, actually, or at least of, of the securities inside this particular fund. And there are countries included in like, like Kuwait, for example, Qatar, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, some Ni- Nigeria, Kazakhstan, excellent, excellent. Uh, some Argentina, Morocco, Kuwait. All kinds of, of, of diversified country exposures there.
2: Just thought I'd point that out. And I believe, Eric, is. we have a paper on emerging markets, includes some discussion of Frontier. If you go to empirical.net under the resources and investor education, I'm pretty sure there's a, a paper somewhere in there that talks a little bit about that. There's even, uh, just for well, point,
3: okay. of, point of fact here, uh, com- uh, some r- Romanian exposure. It's the Bank of Transylvania
2: oh. in there. No way. Wow. Just interesting. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, something about. Um, okay. What else? Um, what else do you got? I don't
3: know. Do you want to go through more? Uh, we don't want the market recap. How do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, let's just hit on the um, interest rates really quick. All right. And oh, um, well, just the Dracula. What
3: is this we're listening to?
2: Oh, this is Transylvania. I found some Dracula music. There. Oh, that's great. Okay. The um, five-year treasury. I'll bring it back when when it's when you're talking. That's so when I like to bring those in. Um, <laughs> I noticed that. We'll keep it quiet while I'm doing my work here. Five-year treasuries this week yielding 1.74%. Um, pretty much unchanged. Not a lot happening there. Ten-year treasuries, 2.69. Last year at this time, they were at 1.71, so we're still up from where we were uh, last April quite a bit, but not much going on. Yields are still relatively low throughout. Munis, um, the inflation-protected, everything's pretty low. Inflation, the break-even on those inflation-protected treasuries Versus the nominal treasury, puts the five-year inflationary uh, break-even at one point nine nine, and the ten-year at about two point two zero. So markets pricing in pretty low inflation still. Yeah. Keeping an eye on that every week. Um, prime rates still three and a quarter. Mortgages, uh, thirty-year mortgages, four point two eight is the average this week. So that's actually down from four point four one last week, and uh, last year it was three point four seven. I can't believe that if that number is accurate. Wow just um i I would suggest with the tax situation being what it is this year, a lot of taxpayers are realizing as they got their two thousand and thirteen taxes done that if they earn the same amount of money with the same amount of deductions, in a lot of cases they're paying more tax, yes, so those potential deductions um, you know your mortgage interest you have very low rates still and and on an after-tax basis. That's something I would definitely continue to revisit. I don't know if you have any other comments about that. Gold, Ethan, uh, you've got gold up, uh, down a little bit for the week, up 7.57 year-to-date, so it's had a little bounce back in gold year-to-date.
3: Huh.
2: Um, crude oil's about flat, nothing too exciting going on in any of those areas. Interesting. Um, Yep, that's about it.
3: I noticed the silver's down uh, 18%. Silver and gold. For the last one year. About 18%, and that's a a large disparity between gold and silver. I I mean, you'd you'd think, I would anyway, that they tend to move in tandem, but not not really. I mean, they're certainly correlated, but uh, not exactly
2: step-and-step. All right, Ethan, well, let's take a quick break. Uh, Take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back here on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll get into some of our articles when we get back. When it comes to business,
1: you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan.
3: All right we're back empirical investing radio your co-host here Ethan Broga alongside Ken Smith. Thanks for joining us today on empirical investing radio uh, Ken we're going to go into uh, i think an article or two is that right How does that sound yeah you
2: know we were we were going through the investment presentation last week uh, discussion. We had talked about crystal ball investing, yeah, how that differs from the other alternative of uh, a passive or an index type strategy we're moving right along into. Some discussion about enhanced indexing and um, targeted premium investing. And um, I saw this article that uh, Eric had forwarded to me. uh, Individual investors lose money when using technical analysis. That was one of the the ways of investing. We were talking about fundamental analysis, technical analysis, and general market timing were things, buzzwords that we were throwing around. Last week, mm-hmm. so there's this study. Um, Ethan, the article was by this Mark Melan um, that appeared in this Value on Value Walk. But but the, there was an academic study that they referenced. And it was of Dutch investors, um, and what they found is that most of the individual investors utilizing technical analysis engaged in short-term strategies, which cost them money. Investors might be best suited to stick to fundamental analysis rather than technical trading, according to a new academic study. And that study I had linked into um, is the uh, Technical Analysis in Individual Investors, Arvid O.I. Hoffman. He's from the Maestrick University School of Business and Economics, Department of Finance, um, and Hirsch Shefrin, Santa Clara University. This was uh, appeared February 25th in the Journal of Economics of Economic Behavior and Organization. And in the abstract here, Ethan, it says we find that individual investors who use technical analysis and trade options frequently make poor portfolio decisions, hmm. resulting in dramatically lower returns than other investors. The data on which this claim is based consists of transaction records and matched survey responses of a sample of Dutch discount brokerage clients. The period between 2000 and 2006. Overall, our results indicate that the individual investors who report using technical analysis are disproportionately prone to have speculation on short-term stock market developments as their primary investment objective. Comma, hold on to more concentrated portfolios, which they turn over at a higher rate. Yeah. Comma, mm-hmm. Are less inclined to bet on reversals. Comma, choose risk exposures featuring a higher ratio of non systematic risk to total risk. So we'll talk about that in a second. All right. You got your seatbelt still on? There? I think so. And engage in more options trading and Ultimately, earn lower returns. That's lower returns. So, uh, boy, uh, to develop their thesis, Hoffman and Maestrick University School of Business and Economics in Shepard, um, they studied transactions that you know of, of these individual investors yeah. over that period. Um, I don't know why you know I didn't get. Too deep into this whole study yet. I, I usually just like to read the summary of the conclusion. But what was significant about that period, I, I do not know. I have a feeling it probably has something to do with what they could get records on. You know, comprehensive records on in that time period probably made sense. Right. Um, but technical analysis costs individual investors about 50 basis points. So it's about a half a percent per month. Oh, per month in diminished returns, according to the study. Uh, Noting that little information is available about retail investing using technical indicators, the researchers noted the most significant study on the topic occurred in 1980 with another white paper in 1997, finding that technical trading is much less useful for individuals who would face higher transaction costs and must consider the opportunity cost of the time necessary to become an expert on foreign exchange speculating, and to keep up with the market on a daily basis, in addition to higher transaction costs, investors following technical analysis or technical rules also must accept the risk that such a strategy entails.
3: So that, that so I'm clear that's that's six percent per year less, right than the average investor, right? right. That's a, a huge, huge. Problem. I'm guessing that's also pre-tax, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's juicy. Um, It's pretty wild. It says the high derivative rollers. It notes the marginal cost of technical analysis from portfolio selection is 140 basis points, not the 50 basis points we find uh, for the full sample of investors. So it says this is another. This was a major finding that centered around the those who are trading options frequently and using technical analysis. Okay. um, So that they're referring to them as high derivative rollers. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, high rolling. And they, um, so they're losing significantly more. Wow, I'll say. um, With turnover linked to technical analysis, adding an additional 29 basis points of cost. The paper made three observations relative to behavioral finance and individual investors. Now, this might be interesting. All right. The report found choices of investors was consistent with the behavior of subjects in experimental studies who use price charts confirming the results. Second, the report found that the behavioral traits of investors using technical analysis are similar to those who are linked to excessive optimism and classic overconfidence, Ethan. Wow. Third, the study found high-derivative rollers Who use technical analysis and speculation as their primary investment objective exhibit the same behavioral traits as investors who favor lottery stocks. Hmm. The report concluded that technical analysis costs investors on approximately that 50 basis points per month in raw returns from portfolio selection decisions and 20 basis points from additional transaction costs. So bottom line in the study and a conclusion is that um, investors oftentimes think they know what they're doing, Ethan. Yep. They think they know how to time the market. They think they go to a couple options classes that are being held at their local brokerage firm. And and they've got it all down. Or I see these um, advertisements for these option trading stations and all that kind of stuff. But it's pretty tough to beat the market it, you know it would be interesting if they just captured the market but they're underperforming it on average by a pretty significant amount yeah huge do, amount doing what they're doing mm-hmm you know
3: yeah I just find that interesting I, I don't know how I mean clearly if you know you're doing something that's counterproductive and leading to bad results it seems like you would you would not do that so they must not be measuring things correctly right otherwise they're They're just fooling themselves into that thinking that they're doing a good job, but in reality.
2: Well, they apply the behavioral finance concepts, their characteristics, which one is the overconfidence. Yeah. And um, I think we have, you know, individuals managing their own portfolios have a tendency to really erase out of their memory the bad decisions and really cling to those that have worked out. Right. Um, That's true. So. But the data, as we always say, you know, becoming an empirical investor to me means that I set aside my personal feelings and my personal ego and look to the empirical analysis on this. And what it tells me is it's not something I want to engage or spend time. If I have time, I would rather be building a business, helping people, and um, engaging in activities that actually do produce. Some sort of return, right? Um, I certainly wouldn't want to put the time because what they're not talking about is the time it takes you. That earlier study they quoted uh-huh. to gain the expertise, but then to sit there trading all day. Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about a strategy that you're underperforming just owning the market, right? But you're also how are you paying yourself that fifty basis points doesn't count for your time of sitting there all day doing it, right? And the opportunity cost that involves, right? So, sure. I say look to the empirical data to get the truth, because the truth will set you free. <laughs> Amen. It will. <laughs> and here's another little nugget before we go into um, our break here. Okay. Uh, bogus private equity see, sees, um, fees said found at 200 firms by the SEC. And so, recently I was asked about private equities, you know, investing in private equities and is that a good thing to do? Um, how does a person gain access? And I was explaining, you know, there may be a level of wealth in which it makes a lot of sense sometimes to do certain things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times these more esoteric or, you know, in vogue types of investing, the studies show that a lot of times there's no, not a lot of additional return there. Okay. Um, but they tend to get riddled and be rife with with excess fees. There's a lot of fat sure. in there. And I think that's what gets the, the the industry excited about different, new, different private equity hedge fund kind of structures because it's easier for them to make more money without it being as transparent. But now that's becoming more difficult because of the SEC um, getting in here now and, and making these guys report. And so Uh, Major, a majority of the private equity firms inflate, this is right out of Bloomberg, uh, April 7th article, Mm -hmm. bogus private equity fees had found at 200 firms. A majority of the private equity firms inflate their fees and expenses charged to the companies in which they hold stakes. According to an interview or an internal review by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, raising the prospect of a wave of sanctions by the agency, More than half of about 400 private equity firms that the SEC staff have examined have charged unjustified fees and expenses without notifying the investors, according to a person with the knowledge of the SEC findings, who asked not to be named. Let's not name names, even, because the results aren't public. While some of the problems appear to have resulted from errors, some have been deliberate, according to this Person. The SEC's review of the $3.5 trillion private equity industry began after the 2010 Dodd Frank authorized greater oversight of money managers, putting many firms under the agency's scrutiny for the first time. And by December of 2012, examiners had found that some advisors were miscalculating fees, improperly collecting money from companies in their portfolio, and using the fund assets to cover their own expenses. So, we're gonna to have to take a break. When we get back, we'll, I thought we could comment a little more. But the way these guys are getting paid, they typically charge one and a half to 2% on an annual basis just for running the fund. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, they charge something like 15 to 20% of any of the profit uh, generated by the investments. They also apparently charge the companies. In which they are acquiring, if they're acquiring, if it's a group that's running these private equity groups, and they go out and they acquire, they charge the company that they're getting that they're acquiring on the private side additional fees. Hmm. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of fat there that they're, you know, for themselves. Wow, they're they're ringing up a lot of charges, and ultimately, what that means is that the investors who are investing in the same equity risk they could get elsewhere. Um, that equity risk that they would expect to be compensated for, uh, because the risk doesn't go down because of all these fees. Right. right. There's no less risk in that company as a result of these fees. So, what it means is you're getting paid a lot less for the same amount of risk that you could be taking and getting paid more elsewhere. And I'll explain that a little more when we come back from this short commercial break, Ethan. Sounds great. Right here on Empirical Investing Sounds Radio. Great. We'll be right back.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, portfolio manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P. I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307 or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS dot com.
0: Are you a decision-maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. Pacific. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan.
3: All right, Empirical Investing Radio, we're back. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we were right before the break, just talking about uh, Ken. We were talking about uh, private equity, if I
2: recall, and we wanted to continue on that conversation. Oh, you better believe that. it, Ethan. I was just reading this Bloomberg article about the 200 private equity firms that were found to be overcharging. And going into the break, I was explaining how they've broken down those fees, where they these private equity um, funds are charging on average somewhere between one and a half to two percent per year. Wow, on the assets. Um, being managed um, and 15 to 20% of the profit uh, (laughs) then in addition they charge the companies that they're acquiring additional fees directly to them related to their deals or so-called restructuring and um, so what I'm saying is studies aren't conclusive that there's a higher rate of return expected from private equities. If you were buying them there should be a couple of ways of getting a return. And we're not talking about, you know, companies that, you're, that are venture kind of capital experiences where they're raising money because they're growing and they're going, it's, it's just buying a company that simply is the same size as a publicly traded company, for example, but isn't listed or traded on an exchange. It's owned privately. And if you own it privately, there's less <clears throat> liquidity, obviously, mm-hmm. clearly, so there should be some kind of a premium because of the liquidity issue. Um, sure. then you're taking on the same company-specific and market risk that you would any other company. Okay. So if you layer in, a, in, a, in a, a lot more fees, and again, you can buy the S&P 500 index now for what, down to four basis points or something ridiculous? Yes. Um, in a particular ETF. And they're layering in multiple levels of fees here. Maybe it comes out to be 3 or 4% or more. Mm-hmm. You're 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 not getting my view, and the reason why we've avoided a lot of that, because by the way, if you have an advisor that's putting you into this stuff, you're paying their their fee as well, right? On top of that, and so the total fee by the time it gets down to the investor, you, you could be paying five. To, and we, we looked at some of the hedge fund stuff. I mean, you could be paying five to eight percent fees. The house of pain. Exactly. Um, by the time you get into all this, and even if they were superior in terms of return, there are very few managers that are walking the planet that can overcome that kind of hurdle over a long period of time. Yeah, agreed. So unless there's something about that asset class that you say, I pay any price to be there because something big is, is happening and you're very sure of that, it's not going to be a, a profitable long-term um, solution which is why we haven't utilized these types of investments a lot right even for for ultra high net worth people that a lot of times it doesn't make sense interesting and let me disabuse you of the notion that you know the, the major endowments that are managing billions of dollars they're not paying these prices to get access to to the same investments that wind up getting down to someone that even has ten or twenty million dollars in their portfolio. Right, it's just not happening. Um, I think Dave Swenson has written in several places that the average person is not getting access to what I get access to with the, with the Yale endowment. Yeah, he was the only one. So, any uh, who, that's just something I would be, I would give careful consideration to if you're thinking about putting into these private equity pools. Just a little warning. I appreciate that. that word of caution, Ethan. I know you've got a lot of capital you've been looking to redeploy, and I would uh, I would give that some some consideration. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So anyway, Ethan, we were um, what's next on our, our docket here? Uh, we have
3: a couple more articles, or well, we can you know, one other thing we can dive uh, into a presentation.
2: I that Eric had passed me a long time ago was about the Bugatti. Bugatti driving 26-year-old tied to the penny stock website. Um, this is also a Bloomberg article. He, he gave me some. I'm just catching up on some. I, I find him fascinating. I haven't heard of this one. And uh, Well, there's this guy in Montreal, um, and it, now there's all kinds of lawsuits going on. Okay. But this kid, kid was 26 years old, and he, you know, those Bugatti cars apparently are a million dollars. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, and the government just seized it. But what this kid was doing, um, Stratton Oakmont style from the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> he was using more current technology, although this was happening in the 90s, I thought. I thought we were way beyond all this stuff. I it's know. like those emails that you get, you know, where someone's asking you to set up a money in an account, you know, receive money in an account, and hopefully most of us don't fall for that stuff anymore. But he set up um, these bulk emails that go out and they push a particular penny stock. Um, So, for example, um, the value of a prescription drug distributor, that awesome penny stocks was the website, promoted in 2012, ballooned by more than $700 million in two months. After the messages stopped, the shares collapsed. Compared to the ones I ran into, that's big, Tom Sporkin, the SEC's former chief of market intelligence, said of the website after Bloomberg News shared the data with him. It's the biggest one I've heard of. The SEC said Babakian left Canada in 2012, this is the 26-year-old, in the wake of a tax, tax evasion allegations and that his whereabouts aren't known. Babakian moved to Monaco, according to Anne France Goldwater, a lawyer who represented his wife in a 2013 divorce case. Babakin didn't respond to letters sent to five of his last addresses uh, associated with him all of, around the world, and um, his lawyer from Santa Monica failed to uh, decline to comment after the SEC's case. So anyway, he owned this Bugatti Veyron, the cars that cost more than a million bucks and go take two and a half seconds to hit sixty miles per hour. Wow! As well as a Bentley and a Lamborghini. <laughs> The documents, all this because he was, he's is peddling penny stocks um, over the internet, and so um, promoting stocks it, it, it says it is um, legal. Wall Street's biggest banks send reports daily advising investors on what to buy, often in, com- in companies that are clients. U.S. securities law prohibits market man- manipulation. So, um, OTC Markets Group, which runs venues on, penny, uh, on which penny stocks trade, tracks the promoters and marks stocks it deems suspicious with the skull and crossbone icons on its website, according to the CEO, Cromwell Coulson. Awesome Penny Stocks was one of the biggest promoters, he said in a phone interview last year. The, quote, the traditional Stratton ilk malt has been replaced by the opt-in newsletter, referring to the boiler room depicted in The Wolf of Wall Street, the 2013 movie. People just get an email and they buy these things without doing any fundamental analysis. The SEC routinely sanctions promoters for buying cheap stock, hyping it to investors, then secretly selling their holdings, according to Sporkin, who is now a lawyer at Buckley Sandler. The scheme is called Pump and Dump. Ethan, it's it's a classic Pump and Dump. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Or scalping, he said. It is what uh, I call the street crime of securities. The world of pump and dumps occurs in the shadows, Kaiser Soze style. Oh, yeah. Um, So, anyway, one thing I I would ignore, the way you avoid all this without going through the whole scenario, Ethan, I'm just trying to help, is don't, don't buy stocks based on these these emails or newsletters, just don't do it. It seems you know, like not a good save your idea energy to begin and with. Just go to the casino if you're going to do that. <laughs> you know, Or pull out the penny stock list and just throw darts at it. Right, or something. You know what I mean?
3: I'm just uh, I'm Have a monkey
2: throw darts at it.
3: I'm just surprised it still... Uh, that stuff happens. I just can't almost it, believe it, it. Yeah, it happens. Wow. I mean, I can believe people send out emails advising folks to buy these stocks, right? But I, I can't believe that people would actually buy the stocks. That's the part I have a hard time with that's
2: too bad. It's really it's really sad people who, who fall for that. Well I, all we can do is is try to warn people. So um, I just I thought those were those articles were all reasonably in yeah. line with our discussion about successful investing. Sure. And I had yeah. had a question about private Equity and, and hedge fund investing and all these kinds of things and you know my my advice on that is it's not that they're horrible things to do and certainly a lot of advisors have done very well promoting those types of investments mm-hmm. um, as a part of their marketing sure. and uh, positioning but ultimately I would I would focus the core of my of my wealth on strategies that I believe will help me to accomplish all my objectives that are transparent, reasonably priced, the overall cost relative to the return offered is reasonable, mm-hmm. um, tax-efficient, and, and liquid. And and then once you've got your primary um, needs met, I'm going to be able to meet my retirement objectives and financially I'm secure Allocate an amount outside of that core, a smaller amount to anything you want. You know, you you can have fun with it, get crazy with it, do penny stocks if that's what you want to do. Um, With the notion that you're okay losing this money, it's not going to affect, you know, your overall ability to, you know, sustain yourself financially. Right. And I, I think people sometimes don't separate those two. We got to take one more break, Ethan. Okay. And uh, we'll be right back after this break on Empirical. And again, if you want to call us, 866 472 5790 or contact at empiradio.com. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts
1: here. Voice America Business Network. Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Mayner. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, Ken, we're back
3: for our uh, last segment of today's show. Last segment. Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host here, Ethan Brog, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, Ken, we're, we're just dis- finishing up our discussion on the, the pump-and-dump strategy with penny stocks, and then we're moving on to uh, well, where we'd like to go next.
2: Your 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 classic pump-and-dump strategy. That's what it says. Um, Something to a- be avoided. Avoided at all costs, was our thought. Well, really quick, Ethan, while I pull up the presentation okay. that we're working on, um, do you have anything you've been... Dealing with this week, any questions that you've gotten from uh, investors? I've had a few about, um, you know, the, the merits of uh, using some of the online tools and trying to do your own portfolio that way versus selecting some financial guidance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you want to, if you you have any thoughts around how you approach that, and what cases would you would you partake in in and what are the differences that you should be looking for? I had a great conversation with someone this morning who was saying, hey, they're reading a book and I want to check it out. It was on choosing your um, financial choosing your financial experts or help, getting okay. you know how to choose that. Um, but that was something he'd been discussing um, on his own. He'd been contemplating is hey, I've I've done things pretty much on my own up to this point. I've looked at some of the different online solutions that I can, I can take to managing my money, and yeah, what, you know, we basically said, well, tell me why would I work with with a group like like Empirical or with you know guys like Ethan? Um, what can you guys bring to the table for any of the any additional fees that you're that an advisor is charging for that?
3: Yeah, that's, a, that's a obviously a good question. There are lots of uh, ways to ask that question. Um, I think if you're Comparing it to, for example, just doing it yourself, uh, I think you need to define what doing it yourself means. First of all, I think, um, you know, if you're simply going to be picking an investment and reviewing it once a year, certainly here we do a lot more than that. Um, when when talking about client portfolios, there's lots of things that go into each little decision. In fact, uh, about how to construct a portfolio, you know, what asset classes should you include in that portfolio. What's the correct mix in terms of stocks to bonds or, or, and cash? You know, what's the right allocation given your time frame, your risk tolerance and, and needs and so forth? Mm-hmm. So lots of, lots of thought has to go into all those questions. Yeah. Um, so when I hear people say, hey, I'm going to do it myself, what I don't see frequently is, well, what, is a list, what does that list mean to you? As an example, right? I mean, uh, well, it means I'm going to pick stocks or I'm going to pick funds and I'll take a look at it once a year. Well, if that's what you're doing, Doing it yourself isn't exactly the same thing as that we would do, for example. Mm-hmm. There's a laundry list of stuff that goes into the decision-making processes for each step of our, our process with, the, with regards to investments, taxes, cash flow planning, and, and insurance. Um, and finding independent you know, um, folks to do that on your behalf a lot of times is, is helpful because you're not an expert in everything. Um, if you happen to be, you spend a lot of time at that particular endeavor, And over time, you become very good at what you do, Um, and a lot of times, if you're you're not in the business of managing investments and finance and things, you are not really an expert, right? It takes a long time to become an expert. So clearly, there's going to be things that you might, I would think, would miss along the way. That if you aren't working with somebody who is who has dedicated their entire life to that endeavor, um, likely you'd miss out. I, I
2: would think. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's certainly a value to your own time, sure. And I think there's a limitation um, on the you know the the, the the systems that you go in and plug in some things and they spit out an allocation. They manage it that way. Yeah, some of these sites that have come out—they're very obvious. They're actually not much different in reality than putting your money into a managed platform. So I don't know why they're getting as much attention as they do. Um, you know I can meaning that I could go into a brokerage firm ten years ago and say, "Hey, I just want a, something that 's a managed I can buy a fund that goes out and picks other funds for very cheap
4: yeah
2: and to me that 's not really much different in doing that than hiring these online robo advisors for example right so there 's not much new to that element of it mm-hmm. um i 'm not really clear what their value. I've looked at some of the sites. This is an idea we talked about 10 yes. plus years ago. Um, is it make sense or is there merit in, in designing that process for people who want to embrace the technological side of, you know, get get some help utilizing it? I think you're far better having an advisor that can connect to you through technology, but also um, it's the coordination of, and, this, and to me the the uh, other things that go on, um, that are specific to you. That there's value, and and the advisor needs to demonstrate that that value exists, versus just putting it into a single investment pool. Right. You know what I mean. That there's our industry is still struggling. I feel to figure out the exact the best way of pricing things, um, and I think that's going to continue to to morph and change mm-hmm. to get that advice. You know where attorneys charge hourly for everything they do a lot a lot of times. For example, yeah, um, where other other business businesses or service quote a flat fee for something and then they do it. And then in our industry, it's very common to to be compensated based on some percentage of what you're doing, Right. what you're working on. And mm-hmm. I think things will keep, you know, different programs and things will keep coming around until we get the right strike a balance for that one thing I think we've agreed on conclusively is a, a situation where someone's paid a commission to sell you different products, and on and, and, and top of it, they're not being held accountable to putting your interests first through this fiduciary standard. Right. It's not the ideal way of, of, of transacting or getting advice. And I think most people know that now. I mean, most people that I come across aren't, that's not even in their contemplation. They're not sitting there going, wow, well, I was thinking of going and seeing if I can have a full commission broker guy sell me stocks. <laughs> uh, nobody's doing that really anymore. It's getting yeah. down to the next level. I mean, somebody's doing it somewhere out there. It's, I think it's more probably traditionally inside of loaded funds or insurance products or those kinds of things. But, but anyway, I think it's it's really the coordination of, of services and value and discipline that can be brought Specifically to you, um, and the time that you save. You know, once you've communicated with someone, what your objectives are, mm-hmm. shared with him what your your income is and your financial circumstances, and they can proactively bring ideas to you. Um, I think that's where the real value is, and coordinating you know the tax, the cash flow, and the yeah. um, the investments. I think any one of those in isolation value is lost oh that's true right if you're paying just for each of those separately there's 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 opportunity and value lost it's not as i agree with that you lose some synergy in that Mm -hmm. in that concept and so however it needs to be priced you know that's a debate that we can hold another time but i think ultimately having that team um is better than, like you said, it's, it's the decision is often around the investment piece and not around how do I coordinate all of this, these areas of my financial life.
3: Yeah, we tend to focus on the uh, thing that has the most uh, bells and whistles, which oftentimes in the investment, because you look at it every single day, even oftentimes throughout the day, and say, oh, it's gone up or down, hey, it's doing greater, it's not doing greater. You can evaluate it very easily. Which doesn't mean it's best to be looking at it all the time, but it is something that catches our attention.
2: And I think that's something if you begin working with one, an advisor that you would want to keep an eye on that value along the way. Here, we, are we making progress towards my objectives? Is there value being added here? Well, Ethan, I think we're, we're going to run out of time. So what I'd like to do with our last few moments together here is, uh, again, invite our listeners to give us a call throughout the week, and you can do do that at one 800 923 4307, and you can reach Ken Smith or Ethan Broger right here at Empirical. And uh, we can pretty much help you anywhere you're at around the country and even in a lot of foreign countries, Ethan. I know you're globally traveled no individual. Trotter. You are, indeed. Um, so 1 eight hundred nine two three four three zero seven. 923 4307. You can email me directly, Smith at empirical.net, and empirical is EMPI dot net and ebroga at empirical.net as well. Thank you very much for tuning in. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you next week.
1: We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.